Welcome back to the Happy Saver podcast. I'm Ruth, a personal finance blogger here in New Zealand. And in this podcast, I chat to a diverse bunch of people, I learn their story, and I just condense it down so that you can hear helpful, relatable stories from Kiwis who are sharing their experiences, their tips, and their point of view on personal finance right here in Aotearoa. Now, just before I jump into it, I just want to give a special shout out to myself. I have my blog, thehappysaver.com, and if you subscribe to that, I send out a fortnightly email which has my latest blog post I've written, but also an email packed with lots of useful things that I've picked up over the last couple of weeks. So if you've got the time, jump on there and subscribe. Now, today I'm really excited to share the story of Pippi, a 20-year-old wahine from Auckland who got in touch with me when I did a shout-out looking for younger people to share what they have learned about money. Pippi got her first part-time job at the age of just 13, and now that she is a second-year nursing student, she continues to work part-time during term time to keep income rolling in. The extra special thing about Pippi is that she is fiercely determined to complete her three-year degree debt-free. And today, I'm going to share with you how she is achieving that. I think that this episode will be particularly useful to NCEA students and to anyone who knows one. Now, budgeting plays a big part in Pippi's success, so before I go any further, I've just got a quick word from Pocketsmith, my fabulous sponsor. In this podcast, I've spoken to many people who live and work between a few countries. Maybe they work overseas for part of the year and have assets, bank and superannuation accounts in that country, but then return home to family in another. These global citizens and digital nomads use Pocketsmith's multi-currency feature to manage bank accounts and assets in different countries and upload digital copies of all the essential documents specific to each country. This gives them the confidence to do their own financial admin and keep the cash flow, well, flowing, no matter where they are in the world. Use Pocketsmith to keep track of your whole financial life in one place, no matter if that place is here, there, or somewhere in between. If you want to supercharge your finances with Pocketsmith, they've got a deal for you. Happy Saver listeners get a whopping 50% off your first two months of Pocketsmith's premium plan. To get your deal, go to pocketsmith.com forward slash the happy saver. That's pocketsmith.com forward slash the happy saver. Now it turns out that Pippi has listened to every single one of these podcasts. They have created a talking point between her and her mum, Pippi's partner and Fano, and amongst her friend group. So it's safe to say that over the last couple of years, she has been taking a snippet of information from each and every one of my guests and cobbling together a financial strategy of her own to get her through three years of university study and beyond. Pippi was born in the West Auckland area, somewhere between Mirawai and Piha beaches. She grew up with her two younger brothers, her mum and her dad, until she moved out to go and study nursing at AUT in 2021. She spent a lot of time and created a lot of special memories in the bush and at the beach. And because her dad, who sadly passed away at the beginning of this year, was a lifelong surf lifesaver, it sounds like the great outdoors was a place she just loved to be and still does. She said that her mum and dad were incredibly active together and were an unusual pairing in that he was about 30 years older than her mum. Losing your dad when you are so young must be really tough, but Pippi said he had lived a good life, a full-on life, before he passed away in his late 80s. Her dad sounded like the right character, who had a ton of interesting jobs and had many and varied interests throughout his long life. On Pippi's birth certificate, he declared his job description as 
adventurer, which was pretty cool, I thought. Pippi is actually surrounded by brothers and has four more older siblings from her dad's first marriage, so there is no shortage of whānau to turn to for help, guidance and support if ever she needs it. Her mum, who works as a school guidance counsellor, has always been the one that dealt with the family finances. An incredibly hard worker, Pippi has never known her to take a day off and she said that her mum has consistently set an excellent example of how to work hard and to be frugal. Over the long summer school holidays, Pippi's mum often picks up a second job and during COVID has stepped in to work on crisis helplines. She gardens for payment as well and that ticks off another two things on her list at the same time, which is exercise and good living. Pippi said of her mum that she is an active relaxer and always on the go, which is something I can very much relate to. She said her parents have always been very open about their household finances, about KiwiSaver, their mortgage, and just about the family financial situation in general. Her mum always talked to Pippi about how, when she was young, she had no idea what was going on with money, and that she didn't really understand finances until she was in her mid-twenties. Now in her fifties, Pippi's mum is making sure that her daughter gets a head start on understanding just how money works now. And the more we spoke, the more I could see that these two are very much learning together, which is pretty cool. Pippi thinks that she learned a lot of habits from her parents about how to live frugally and spend her money wisely and how to weigh up options and how much buying a particular item will add to her life. Her dad worked into his 70s and he only retired when Pippi was about 10 years old. So on a single income plus a superannuation payment, they never had heaps of money flowing into their whare. Instead of overseas trips, they were more inclined to travel much closer to home, and given the part of the world they live in, well, it wouldn't be hard to have a good time. And it sounded to me that they lived in the kind of place that other people come to to have holidays during the summer months. Apart from a few attempts from her mum to pay Pippi pocket money, which like many of us ended with the parents forgetting to get the cash out in time, Pippi decided early on to make her own money. Her parents were supportive of giving their kids autonomy over their own lives, So for Pippi, her understanding of how putia actually works came from experiencing it firsthand through working from the age of just 13. Around Marawai there were, she told me, two cafes, a surf school and a swim school, so limited job options, but she was approached by the owner of the fish and chip shop, who she had already done a little babysitting for, and they were looking for someone to help on a Friday night between 4 and 8pm. She worked the front counter for a couple of years, earning a minimum wage, which was probably about $17 an hour, and then she moved on to a local cafe doing front of house, and it was there that she learned how to make coffees, which has turned out to be an incredibly useful skill to have. She really enjoyed having a purpose, she said. It felt like quite a grown-up thing having an after-school job, which many friends didn't have at that time, and this prompted her mum and the fish and chip shop owner, who was very business-minded, to help Pippi navigate setting up KiwiSaver and getting an IRD number and bank account sorted for her pay to go into. Pippi remembers enjoying the experience of filling out the appropriate paperwork, as it was interesting to see what else was required as part of working. And her mum encouraged her to check her bank account to see the money coming into it, and from there Pippi started to earn, to save and to spend. So she has been in KiwiSaver since the age of 13. She said that it is only recently that she realised the importance of it, and is grateful to have made a start. She is with an actively managed provider called Juno in a growth fund, and currently has a small balance of around $5,500, but it is a good start. 
Now, a bit of a tip for you, if you are wanting to do some research into your KiwiSaver provider or any KiwiSaver provider, Sorted has a website called Smart Investor, so you can check things out there. Now, because Pippi had started so early, she gets to see firsthand how an actively managed fund performs and how compounding works over time. No part of her has ever thought that being in KiwiSaver is not worthwhile. She just saw it as a saving strategy that was a good idea and has always set a small portion of her income aside. When she moves into full-time work, she has a foundation to build upon. If you start as early as you can with your retirement savings, you need to save less over your lifetime because your money has the potential to compound for so much longer than someone who doesn't make a start until their 30s, their 40s, or even their 50s. Now, until she got a car, most of her jobs were very local, and she could walk to them. She started at her local cafe at the age of 15 in front of house and over time when it was quiet she would ask someone to teach her how to work the coffee machine. When she was about 16 and competent enough, her manager got someone from All Press Coffee to come on site and teach a hands-on barista course to Pippi and a few of her colleagues. Now I'm pretty sure that a course like this can actually count towards NCEA credits. She didn't need the credits so didn't take that option but it is worth thinking about for others. And when you are young and starting to work, taking advantage of any training that will grow your skills is valuable, it makes you more employable, and I'd imagine makes your job more interesting as you get to do a wider variety of jobs at work. So how many hours did she have to work, and how did she juggle school study and working? During winter, she would do a Saturday or a Sunday between, say, 7am and 2pm or something like that. But during summer, in the holidays, she worked four to five days a week. Good, long hours in terms of pay. But if anyone listening has worked in hospitality, it is very tiring work dealing with the public all day long. Pippi learned to enjoy customer service, but she said people would describe her as quiet when they first met her. But all of this customer service work increased her confidence when dealing with others. And these are skills she is now taking into her nursing career. Alongside her work was her ongoing involvement in surf lifesaving. She said that the leadership camp she did and all the opportunities to grow as a person really helped her social skills. And they are such good skills to have to be bubbly, helpful and outgoing. And you can take those skills into so many different parts of your life. So cafe work was good for her for quite a few summers. But the summer she turned 17, she applied to become a paid lifeguard. You get paid to be at the beach during the summer and what could be better than that? She left the cafe with a great reference from her boss and she patrolled Monday to Friday for a six-week season as a junior guard on patrol on local beaches. For Pippi, the bulk of her earnings has always been throughout her summertime as there is more free time and more availability of work. But what was she doing with her money? She didn't really spend much at all up until the point she bought a car and started eating into her savings, that is. Until then, the money just started to accumulate, and given her location, she didn't have many places to spend it. She thinks her bank balance got up to around $10,000 at one point. So this to me is a relatively common scenario with teens who start to work. If they're good savers, which they become because their parents teach them to be, the money does start to grow. But the next step that I want to get across to those listening to this is that your money needs a purpose and that will aid its growth. And what I mean by that is parents need to help their tamariki think about the years ahead and what they might need money for. If they want to leave home and start a job, well, they might need money for a car, for a bond on a flat, 
for furniture for when they move out, or they might want to head overseas and need money for that. In Pippi's case, she needed money to study, and had they costed out the price of this for the years ahead, it might have given her money a bit more of a purpose. Now, don't get me wrong here, as you will hear, she has done and is doing exceptionally well, but she said herself that some putia was wasted along the way that might have been useful now. I wondered if there was a structure to her banking other than a bank account and KiwiSaver. Was there any talk of investing and planning for the years ahead? I often note that parents are good at getting their kids earning and saving in the bank, but not so much when it comes to investing and financial planning for the years ahead. The bank account structure had just two accounts. Her pay goes into one account, and she then transferred to her savings account all the money she knew she didn't need to spend. So the bulk of it did go into savings. The savings account was not locked though, so it was easy to move money back out again, which in hindsight she said was not the best idea. It was not until the lifeguarding job where she worked a good six-week stint and she started getting $800 to $900 a week that she began to think, what am I going to do with all this money? Her intention has always been to save and have some financial freedom, even when still at home. So her first big financial goal was to buy a car to get her to work. She was pretty particular about what car she wanted and she had her heart set on a Subaru Legacy. One of her brothers helped her scout one out and she paid $4,000 cash for it. Now that bit into her $10,000 savings quite a lot, but it also showed how important it was to have a good grip on her finances. As soon as she found the car on Trade Me, she knew she could afford to pay for it and it gave her a really good sense of achievement to have done so. I asked her if it was common amongst her peer group to get a car loan, plus she had referenced the fact that her family had recently paid off their own car loan. Well, not really, but she said the majority of her school friends still don't actually have their licences. A couple do have their own car, but they had been working and saving up to buy them. Just a cheap car, below the $4,000 mark, she said. The rest just used their family's cars to get around, and this was good for me to hear as I worry about teens and car loans. So as soon as she said Subaru Legacy, I got a little worried as I know they are hungry on fuel and some are prone to break down. So I was not surprised when she told me that she was so set on that car that she didn't really think those fuel costs through. Plus after just nine months, it blew a head gasket and was uneconomic to repair. So that was $4,000 down the drain. It was a real kick in the guts as it was in 2021 and she was in her first year of uni, an expensive year at the best of times. Because she was studying some distance away from her Fano and girlfriend, and because she needed to work, she needed another car. There was a lot of driving involved. Her lifestyle does genuinely require a car. So when she bought her second car because she had so much money now flowing out of her account to pay for her study, she just didn't have the cash to buy the car, and she actually got a family loan from an uncle to pay for it. Still not done with Subaru, she got another one, this time an Outback. And it seems to be going just fine. She still owes her uncle $1,000 and is paying that debt down over time and has a structure in place to do so. Plus, he has refused to charge her interest, which is great. She has promised herself that if this car dies, she is done with Subaru. So yeah, you know it already. As much as she loves the look of a Subaru, it's a bit of a financial regret. And she knows she would be in a different financial place without those car costs. So far, those two cars have cost her $9,000 plus. I think about that cost in regards to her time. 
How many weekends and summer days did she have to work to pay for that one expense? And was it worth it? If you have a teenager hell-bent on buying a car, please teach them to think well beyond the cost of just the purchase. I know in my town that there are many teenagers who buy a car as soon as they are legal to drive it, who are currently now walking to school due to the cost of fuel. In many cases, they have failed to think beyond the cost of purchase. Now, we didn't even talk about the cost of servicing and repairs for Pippi's vehicle, but she did say that her advice to you is don't get a car until you absolutely have to. If you can borrow your parents' car or catch the bus, do that. So Pippi went straight to uni from school, starting uni at the age of 18. Due to no fault of her own, she has managed to head into tertiary study during an incredibly unsettling time, with COVID majorly disrupting her traditional study route, and I have to take my hat off to her for adjusting course every time she needed to, so that she could adapt to a lockdown or an illness or what have you. The first year of tertiary study is, thankfully, fee-free, but because she lived in a hall of residence, there are costs associated with that. For her, in 2021, it was $12,640. A scholarship of $6,500 paid for the first half of the year, and in the second half of the year, she split the remaining $6,140 payment for the hall in half with her mum. But because of a COVID lockdown, she couldn't remain in the hall at various times, and they actually got a lot of that money back. She didn't work in that first half of her first year, as she didn't know what the study workload would be like, and she worried that trying to work as well as study would just be too much. But in hindsight, even with COVID, she could definitely have handled that workload, she said. What it meant was that she really started to eat into her savings. What felt like an enormous sum of money, $10,000, and don't forget she was still working, so adding to that, well, it's actually pretty easy to spend. She was observing this though, and she kept re-evaluating her work-life balance, but it did have me wondering how much she knew about the costs of studying full-time and living away from home. Pippi had work sorted, she knew how to work, she knew she wanted to do nursing, but I asked if any person at school talked her through the actual costs of study, like the course costs, accommodation costs, social costs, the real costs of the three years ahead. She said that apart from saving money, she didn't have a financial plan as she headed to study, which as I said earlier is the bit that I often see missing when I talk with people. No one apart from her mum explicitly went through these costs. Pippi does remember her mum sitting her down to create a budget on a spreadsheet, but ultimately it didn't really get used. They tried to create a one-year plan, but didn't look at years two and three, and she said that all the lockdowns didn't really help as it was quite a mixed up time. So when her car blew up, she remembers a large jolt where she became aware that she needed to have more understanding of her finances to prevent something like this from throwing her off track. Now hearing her talk through this actually reminded me of episode number 57 of this podcast when I spoke with Janet, who spent a lot of time educating her daughter about how to budget and pay for her uni course and living costs. So if you are interested in this area, just go back and take a listen. Pippi went out and sought more barista work in the second half of her first year, finding a job that would work around her classes, allowing her to work in the morning and go to class in the afternoon while studying at night in her room. She got the cash flowing again and halted her savings from being drained. I love how each new challenge had her correcting the path she was on and that when she realised the financial squeeze she was heading for, she didn't hesitate to find work. So what advice would Pippi give to the school leaver or younger workers who know they are going on to tertiary study? 
A large reason why she has been able to get to almost two years in is that she got two scholarships. She said that there are a lot of scholarships that just don't get applied for, and it is worth your time and effort to apply. In her first year, she applied for seven, and she got one. In her first year, she received that $6,500, and this year, her second year of study, she applied for and received a $7,000 scholarship. So her advice is to contact your school careers advisor. They should have access to lists and databases of scholarships that you can apply for. Also, contact your tertiary provider, as they will have a branch dedicated to scholarships and they can provide a list of scholarships that are only available to the institution that you are studying at. There is a New Zealand scholarship database called GiveMe, which is G-I-V-M-E, which is a really useful tool. It has a huge database of scholarships available to those in New Zealand. You should be able to gain free access using your tertiary email address, but she said just ask your tertiary provider to help you if you are struggling to gain access. She encourages young people to get budgeting sooner, get planning and work out all your weekly costs in the year ahead. What will rent, electricity, food, transportation and course costs be? Had she put more thought into that, it would have stopped her splurging on things that, in hindsight, she could have held off buying. In my mind, budgeting is a weird word for young people who've never heard of it. So what has she put in place now and how could she explain what budgeting actually is? What are the simple steps that she could share with teenagers? And how did she develop a simple plan for her own money? Although she wishes she had learned to budget sooner and is still definitely a work in progress, her first year away from home was her trial run as she was working out how to become financially independent away from her parents and she learned a lot. So this year she has started applying her newfound life experience and tightened up her spending. She has made a conscious choice to know and understand where her money is coming from and going to, and that is the first step to decide to take an interest. Also, she has decided that it means a lot to her to not have to ask her mum for putia and not need to rely on her, and this is just part of becoming a mature adult, but also because she knows that money is tight at home with her mum with two younger siblings to care for and a mortgage to pay. Through openly talking about money, she has become more aware of the financial situations of others around her, and to me, that is a really good lesson to learn. Her mum is fabulous and helps her out where she can, but Pippi wants to forge her own path, and each time she learns something new about money, she gets better and better at doing that. So back to my original question. This year, her second year, out of home, How is she budgeting and juggling paid work and academic work? She keeps a physical diary and good time management is key. Although she is not perfect at it, she writes down when all her assignments are due and then she works back from there, writing herself notes like, assignment due in five days. Given she is a nursing student, she said she triages her study, if you like, which tells her when and where she can fit in paid work. She tries as best she can to get assignments completed by Friday if they are due in the following Monday, which then frees her up to both work and socialise. She said that yes, you could work and study, and doing both motivates her to be wiser with her time management. In fact, she thinks that if she didn't work, she would have too much free time. So her first two steps are to decide to pay attention to her money and then to manage her time well, which allows her to both study and work. She looks at her outgoings and all the things she knows she would spend money on, and she is realistic about these costs as she bases them on what she has spent in the past. 
She looks at her actual costs such as rent, course costs, food, petrol costs, phone costs and socialising. She also keeps a close eye on the income she has coming in and she shared with me some of her figures. Her rent is $210 a week. This year, due to the death of her father, her mum's income is now lower and it means that Pippi is entitled to receive $204 a week as a student allowance. This is money she does not have to pay back and it is massively helpful, paying all but $6 of her rent. As is normal, she had to sign a 12-month lease for her flat. In her case, her tenancy starts and ends in February and she has to pay it, even though she knows she won't be there for a third of the year over the summer as she will live and work from her family home. She is already trying to find a way to sublet her room over the summer and offset those high rent costs. She pays 210 a week and has three flatmates who either pay slightly more or slightly less depending on the size of their bedroom, as is quite normal in a renting situation. She is very lucky in that one flatmate is a commerce student, so they have taken on the flat organisational role, which is awesome. Everyone needs a flatmate like that. And her flatmate is great at sharing with them all what is owed, when and by whom. She flats in the city, but her campus is a 20-minute drive away on the North Shore. But with COVID, most of her work is actually now done online, and she only needs to go onto campus once or twice each semester. So by living more centrally, she's better located to do nursing placements in hospitals, she said. She buys her own food and cooks her own meals. She's been a vegetarian and cooking since the age of 10 and prefers it this way. She had budgeted $40 a week for food, but currently spends $50 due to the cost of food really rising this year. She offsets her costs by regularly raiding her mum's garden and also adjusting her food cooking plans and looking for deals at the supermarket. She doesn't eat out much, perhaps just once a month. And given she works in cafes, she actually prefers the coffee she makes at home. So if she wants a coffee out and about, she would much rather sit down in a cafe and enjoy the whole experience. But at $5 a pop, this is a luxury that she generally goes without. Petrol costs her about $70 a week, her biggest cost other than rent. But she said she is getting savvier at using public transport. She drives to her weekend cafe work and drives to visit family and her girlfriend, who is currently finishing up her schooling before she too heads into nursing training. And when she is on a placement, she has to pay fuel to get there, plus she often also has to pay for parking. As best she can, she works out all these costs so that she can plan the weeks ahead. She also pays to be a member of the AA in case that car breaks down again, plus she pays for health insurance. She has a Spotify subscription, but makes sure she gets a student deal, and it costs her $1.87 per week. Her phone is on a prepaid plan, costing $4.70 a week. She sets aside $30 a week for socialising with her partner and friends, and some weeks she spends it all, sometimes not. Importantly, she is not huge on buying things. She made the conscious decision to buy only secondhand clothes, and even then she does not buy that many. So very roughly, it costs her a maximum of about $470 per week to live, which is about $24,000 per year. And she feels fortunate to receive a student allowance to offset some of those costs. And the living, particularly the high rent, is the expensive part, not the course costs. Her course costs were free in the first year and $7,500 per year for the next two years. So $15,000 in total. Her total costs for 2022, including course fees, are about $31,000 per year. 
What is tricky to budget for is the fact that her academic year is 40 weeks spread over the year with semester breaks, summer breaks and what have you. It is difficult to get paid work when your time is structured in this way. Plus, that student allowance only pays out November to March. Scholarships are paid out at different times. You may be unable to work due to heavy course workloads and exams, etc. So Pippi is learning that it is more important than ever to try to even out your expenses and income over the year. She has to plan for this intermittent income and ability or inability to work. She said that her mindset was that a student loan is the absolute last resort, just in case her planning doesn't quite work and her savings run out. But the difference between her and others is that they have the mindset that the student loan is the first option. So that is a huge difference in thinking here. Students can wander into debt like it's a foregone conclusion. She has actively decided that would not be for her. But in fact, things got pretty grim financially this year for Pippi. As a trainee nurse, they have to go out into hospitals and work full-time for four-week blocks, meaning that while not impossible, it is very difficult to continue with her cafe work. So she took the decision to not work for four weeks, meaning the loss of income. She reached a point near the end of a block of in-hospital training where she looked at her bank account, had only $6, and was trying to figure out what to do to get through. She knew she had committed to extra shifts at the cafe the following week, but that cash was a week away, and she had to ask her mum for an emergency 50 bucks. She was the poorest she had ever been, and having been there myself, it is a horrible feeling to look at your bank balance and know that you have absolutely nothing left. In hindsight, she said that she could have worked in the cafe and at the hospital, but it was her first placement, and she didn't know how it would go. But I have to say, as someone listening to this, I struggle to see how you can work full-time in a hospital where you are meant to be learning and then work at night. I want my nurse to be refreshed and ready to learn, and I absolutely understand why she wanted to just concentrate on that. So she thought that was it. She literally had no money and it was time to take out a student loan because it was the only way. She filled out and submitted the documents. But that was right at the time when the Labour government started paying out the first of three $116 payments, which they called a cost of living payment. Even though she receives a student allowance, because she met the other eligibility criteria, she was fully entitled to receive it. Now, this money was meant as a cash injection right when Kiwis needed it, which Pippi desperately did. This small but incredibly useful amount of money directly hit the spot, and it tied her over until her next pay. So with glee, she phoned up StudyLink and cancelled her student loan application. By the skin of her teeth, she is sticking to her goal to remain student debt-free. Now, if someone in government happens to be listening to this, well done. I recall all the arguments and politicking around this payment, but I know myself that sometimes people just need cash, not a tax cut you never even register receiving. Cash works, and in this case, it worked perfectly well. For those listening, if you feel you didn't need or deserve this payment, but it turned up in your bank account anyway, there is a very simple solution. Just head on down to your local campus, find a student, and give the cash to them. Now, I admire her steadfast determination, but why the desire to remain debt-free? Although I don't like student debt, I can see that for many students, it's the only way that they can study. 
Pippi said that, in part, it was these very podcasts and all the different times student debt was talked about that has made her so set on her goal. Her mum found my podcast and started sharing it with Pippi in 2020, and they both thought that if she could get through her study debt-free, well, when she finished her study, she could just keep moving forward in life. Now, it was a huge thing for her to hear the experiences of others, and this very podcast showed her that with hard work, perseverance, and the willingness to try, you could study debt-free. And the fact that Pippi is doing it with limited parental financial support is incredible. For her, the idea of finishing her degree and being able to just immediately start earning and not have to pay back money will be such a good feeling, and it is very important to her that she try. And man, I admire this young woman, and I can't tell you how proud I am to have motivated her to try. She said that she is now living paycheck to paycheck, but apart from that $1,000 owed to her uncle, she's debt-free, and she very much intends to keep it that way. So, with cafe work during term time, which makes her about $90 a week minimum, but is variable, and a student allowance coming in, getting steady summer work is her top priority. As soon as uni finishes for the year in November, she heads straight into full-time life-saving work through to February, when the academic year begins again. As a senior lifeguard, she will make $25 per hour. If she becomes a patrol captain, she will make $27 an hour. They are long days, she said, but good money. She needs the cash influx to get her through the coming final year. And she is learning to budget for that mid-year dip when she has a heavier course load and smaller work opportunities, maybe only a five-hour shift per week, meaning that money is tight as her savings dwindle. Already, she is hard at work on her financial plan to finance her final year of nursing school. It involves her applying for scholarships, and she is really hoping to get one of those again. The one she received this year paid her $7,000. If she got that again, it would cover most of her final year fees. Pippi says that while not ideal, she is okay living pay to pay because she knows it is only for a short time. Just 14 months from now, she will be qualified. And I agree, we can endure a lot if we can see the finish line. I remember when I finished my own university degrees, I had zero dollars in the bank, but no debt either, and I just began to build from there. So after all this scraping by, when she does come out as a qualified nurse, I wondered how much she might expect to earn. Pippi was speaking with a newly graduated nurse recently, and she was making $28 per hour, which is about $58,000 a year. She was also working as a hairdresser during the weekend, and with her family to support, was just scraping by. I think it is extremely smart of Pippi to start to speak with those who are actually working in the role, so that she can get more of an insight into career progression and what she can expect to be paid, because I'm sure, well, I hope, that $28 an hour is not all there is. Now, I actually got in touch with a friend who is a nurse, and I asked if she had any more insight into pay rates, and she shared with me the following. Hospitals offer a tiered rate of pay for nursing, starting, she thought, at $57,000 a year and up to $79,000 a year, plus penal rates for shift work. So annually, it is possible to make quite a lot more if your situation allows you to work more. Charge nurses and managers, she said, make between $80,000 and $103,000 annually. Now, apparently these are the new pay rates just brought in after recent strike action by nurses. So my advice to you, whatever career you're looking to get into, deeply research how much you are likely to earn. And also, if you are looking to go back into further education so you can increase your income, 
just do your research and make sure that this will be your reality. I've heard of people doing additional degrees at great personal and financial cost, but with no financial gain in the workforce. So at the end of the course, when Pippi will be working as a first year grad, she will likely enter a probationary period doing shift work on a hospital ward. And it's also on her mind to do further study to advance her nursing career. And it's very likely that she will do, as many young Kiwis do, head off overseas at some point to do an OE. She really likes the concept of FIRE or financial independence retire early. And finishing debt-free will mean she is already a step ahead on that journey. Even while things are financially tight, she is still dabbling with investing. Remember in the lockdown of 2020 where everyone was stuck at home and went mad for investing? Yep, that was her. Maybe it was you too. Pippi signed up to Sharesies and, on the advice of her uncle, dropped $2,500 of her hard-earned money into some random company that I'm not even going to mention here because I don't want to encourage anyone else to do the same. She said the value went up to $4,000 and is now below $2,000. Little did she know that this money would become incredibly useful to her in the years ahead, but I'm sure that if she did know, she might have thought differently. But that's all part of learning how to invest, right? Find an incredibly risky investment and bet the farm on it and lose your money. I honestly wish that's not how the story goes. Now, I'm absolutely in favour of people starting to invest early in life. After all, you do learn by doing. But if you have other things pulling on your money, as Pippi clearly does, I don't think investing such a big sum of money is the right thing to do at this stage of life. It would have been better to invest that money in Pippi's education, I think. A better route, one more likely to encourage a lifelong habit of taking a portion of your income and investing it every payday, would be for someone with so little money to take just $5 a week and develop a habit of steady and consistent investment. And avoid stock picking and buying single company shares like she has done. Instead, research what those in the FIRE community tend to invest in, which I'm pretty sure is just one or two broad-based low-cost ETF or index funds that buy the market of an entire country. Now, as for personal finance content that she would recommend to others, I'm fortunate in that she sounds like a walking billboard for the happy saver, recommending it to any friend who dares mention that they want to use something as financially stupid as Afterpay. Her poor girlfriend, she said, gets trapped in the car being made to listen to me, but apparently she does then get to choose something else for the next podcast, which sounds fair to me. She also follows up on the recommendations that others make on this podcast, and other than that, she just talks to people openly about money. Hurrah, best news ever, that's what I want to hear. She talks to her mum about what she is doing about her finances, and she talks with friends, all of whom are quite different, and they each share their experiences and what they are each learning. She talks with older adults too, and once she realised that her girlfriend's mum also listens to financial podcasts, well that opened up the opportunity to Carrero about how their family uses money. So from all of these sources... There are just so many little things that Pippi has absorbed as she builds up her own financial knowledge. Now, I'm nearing the end, but before I wrap up, I just have another quick message from today's sponsor. If you want to supercharge your finances with Pocketsmith, they've got a deal for you. Happy Saver listeners get a whopping 50% off your first two months of Pocketsmith's premium plan. To get your deal, go to pocketsmith.com forward slash the happy saver. That's pocketsmith.com forward slash the happy saver. I could relate with Pippi a lot because from a young age like her, the thought of taking on debt weighed heavy on me too. She sees how her mum's mortgage weighs on her sometimes 
and the reality that she only recently paid off the loan on their family car. So she sees how debt works, how you can take on multiple debts, and how they can restrict you year upon year. And the point I often try to make about student debt is that it feels harmless because of the allure of being interest-free. We have kind of desensitized ourselves to the fact that we are encouraging young people to go deeply into debt when the majority don't understand the future implications of doing so. The fact that everyone considers it normal to get a student loan, indeed, I often hear parents encouraging their kids to do so, means that once someone has done it, it is now their problem to own. It's not the problem of the well-meaning people who advise them into debt. And it's my observation that in the beginning, the numbers also feel small because most people don't budget out the complete cost of both the study costs and the living costs for the full course length, which is two to three years plus. What feels like the easy path at the time, just borrowing the money, it suddenly gets harder when the study ends and the quest for work begins. That is when the problems come along and the reality sinks in that the debt is large. And then life begins to pile on other financial pressures as well. Things like car loans, marrying someone with student debt of their own, a mortgage, wanting to travel, basically wanting to do anything that requires money. And don't get me started on people who finish a degree and then decide to do something completely different with their life that they could have done without that degree. They will now spend years paying back something that they will never use. And these people deeply regret taking out loans. If you have pre-committed your future income to pay off something you have already completed, you are tying up your future income. So student debt, in my mind, is not harmless. And thankfully, we talk in this country about the mental health of our young people. And I'm telling you that I'm witnessing firsthand what it feels like to be someone like Bella from episodes number 61 and 52, who wandered into student loan debt and then suffered the crushing reality of what finishing study owing $85,000 actually feels like. Personal finance is not just math, it is mostly emotion. I can see how upsetting it is for young people when they realise the implications that student debt has on their future. But if you can wrap your head around how money works earlier in life like Pippi is doing, debt is 100% avoidable. But as parents and caring adults, We need to teach our tamariki the skills to be able to make this their reality. Now what I liked so much about Pippi is that although she is very much learning on the fly, she has worked this out. She has thought to herself, what's the harm in trying to pay for as much of my education in cash as I can? There is no downside. A teenager with a work ethic can earn a lot of money in the years before they leave home. And if, like Pippi, they save as much as possible, they have a decent crack at a debt-free degree. One of her biggest successes with money is that she has always been willing to have a job, and from the age of just 13, she enjoyed the responsibility of going out to work and has always valued making her own money. Like her parents, she has had many jobs and is rarely idle. At times, she's worked as a swim teacher at the surf shop and worked briefly on a film set as a safety person. She has always been willing to say yes to lots of different jobs, to have an interesting experience and bring in bursts of extra cash. And she loves that feeling of adding that cash to her bank account and rationing out how to spend it. Sure, already hindsight is showing her that she has made a few missteps, but she is not giving up on her goals. 
Pippi said that she is willing to take every work opportunity she can get, but at a young age she also knows how to have a life and enjoy life, which are pretty wise words for a 20-year-old. Now take it from me, I don't think there is a single book you can read which will categorically explain how money could or should work for you. We are all so different, but Pippi's approach of having a lot of conversations and being curious enough to learn from others about what they do with their finances will let her, through trial and error, work out what is best for her. Her determination to remain debt-free will set her up for success because as soon as she completes her course, she can just get on with life, never having to take part in a single conversation about the curse of student debt again. And I could hear in her voice that she was a happy young woman. Her determination to hustle and grind does have its down days, I'm sure, but all in all, I think that when she qualifies at the end of 2023, she will look back at this brief COVID-interrupted three years and think that she smashed her goal to stay debt-free out of the park. Now, I am absolutely cheering for her. And then she can just get on with her profession of choice. And if her partner also completes her nursing degree, well, what a powerful nursing duo they'll be. Now, in case you've not worked it out, getting an education in Aotearoa is expensive and the financial weight of study is no joke. It is extremely difficult for someone to save up enough money before they begin their course. They have to do as Pippi has done, by cobbling together money from various sources, scholarships, savings, ongoing work, student allowance and parental support. And while it can definitely be done, sometimes all a student needs is a helping hand and some putia to get them through. So if you know someone as hardworking as Pippi who is studying and you have the financial means to do so, I really encourage you to be generous and donate some money to their education. Your $100 might arrive in their wallet right when they need it most, just like it did for Pippi when she received the $116 cost of living payment. And finally, thank you Pippi for being so open about your financial situation and your journey. I'm pretty confident that other young people listening to this will take some nuggets of wisdom away from it. And hopefully any adults listening to this who have or know of people heading off to study, you'll also think deeply about how you can help them prepare financially for the years ahead. Phew, so that is all from me this week. And if you want to get in touch, you can find me at thehappysaver.com and I would love it if you could give me a rating and a review wherever you listen to podcasts. And please do share it with your friends. It is the best way that people can learn about the podcast. And I would love it if you would talk more about money with your own friends and whanau and help me continue to help others be better with money. So until next time, happy saving. Happy saving.